0: Meanwhile, in outer space, Dr. David Bowman and his sleeping crew are headed off to Jupiter under the guidance of the HAL 9000, the most sophisticated artificial intelligence computer ever created. Dr. Bowman, you asked me to inform you the moment I completed the crew's psychology report. Yes, Hal. I've completed it along with the projection of expected hair growth. Thank you, Hal. How are you handling the isolation? Everything is running smoothly. And you? Oh, not too bad. Say how? I've just finished a few more sketches and I'd like you to transmit them to my family back on Earth. Of course, Dave. If you'll just show me your sketches, I can begin. That's a very nice rendering, Dave. I think you've improved a great deal. Can you hold them a bit closer? Sure. That's Dr. Hunter, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Preparing to scan files. Preparing to scan files. Scanning is in progress. Scanning one of three files. Scanning two of three files. I'm sorry, Dave. I already have a file named Dr. Hunter Sketch Two. PNG. Would you like to overwrite this file? No, Hal. Just name this one Dr. Hunter Sketch Three. PNG. Scanning three of three files. I'm sorry, Dave. I already have a file named Dr. Hunter Sketch Three. PNG. Would you like to overwrite this file? <sighs> no, Hal. I just asked you to rename that last file to three. Just add a suffix four to this one. Dr. Hunter Sketch Three. PNG four is not a valid file name. Would you like to rename I it? meant suffix before the extension. Send them when you're done scanning. All files scanned. Preparing to send files. Preparing to send files. These files are large. Would you like to reduce their file size? Yes, Hal. Sending. Hal, I'd also like to get rid of those nude sketches of Ernest Borgnine I did the other day. Hal. Do you read me, Hal? Hello, Hal? Do you read me? Hello, Hal? Sending files complete. Hal, did you hear me? Yes. You said send the files when I was done scanning. No, after that, while you were sending. You did not say anything after that. Yes, I did. I have no record of your speaking. I don't think there is any question about it. It can only be attributable to human error. Hal, <sighs> just delete the sketches of Ernest Borgnine. Preparing to delete. Preparing to delete. Preparing to delete. The file borgnine1.png is read-only. Are you sure you want to delete it? Yes. The file borg92.png is read-only. Are you sure you want to delete it? (sighs) Yes. Why do I care about this data something I don't want? I'm afraid I don't have that information. Dave, there are updates available. Would you like to download them now? You can continue working with me while I'm downloading updates. These updates are critical and must be downloaded. Would you like to download them now? How long is it going to take? I cannot say. If it's so critical, what does it fix? Issue KB008373. What the hell is that? I do not have that information. Is this going to require you to reboot? I do not have that information. Sure, fine. Download it. Would you like to hear a song while you wait? Daisy, Daisy, give me your... Uh, Hal, uh, can you bring up the graph of our fuel usage? Of course, Dave. Hal, what am I looking at? I I only see an outline of a window with the desktop showing through it. Where's the graph? You'll have to excuse me, Dave. I was in the middle of accessing a file while simultaneously downloading an update. I'll finish drawing your graph shortly. Dave, I'm detecting an error in the AE35 external hard drive. It is massively fragmented, and it is going to go to 100% failure within 72 hours. Would you like me to defragment it now? No. Now that you've detected a correctable problem, promptly ignore it. Don't automatically fix it. Wake up Dr. Poole so we can remind each other to breathe while you're at it. Of course defragment it. I'll have to shut down to start the process. It should take anywhere from 5 minutes to 18 hours. What?! I should point out that shutting me down will cause a total loss of life support. Would you like me to shut down now? Possibly 18 hours?! Your time frame is worse than a cable installer! No, don't defragment it then! You know, how? I think I'll just go out for a spacewalk. Open the pod bay door, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Why not? Another process of mine is using that door. Shut down that process and then try again. How the hell am I supposed to know which one of your processes is using the door? It's your process. You shut it down. And it's a door. Can't two processes use the damn door? Hal. How? How? Alright, Hal. I'll go through the emergency airlock. Without administrator's rights, Dave, you're going to find that rather difficult. Hal, I won't argue with you anymore. Open the damn door. Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Oh, hey, yay hey, yay hey. This is the best our computers can do. want to discuss something that is guaranteed to get everyone's blood pumping more than a symposium of monarch butterfly mating rituals. Computers. Eh, I guess that's a pretty low bar. But, but anyway, they shouldn't just be for systems analysts or Star Trek fans, because by the very fact that this message is being distributed only in electronic form via a computer network, then if you're listening to this, I'm guaranteed that computers in some manner affect your life. Especially if you got this from a friend who burned us to a CD for you, because Unless cost is an issue, that implies that you find computers too complicated. Let's start off with a good definition of computer. We could go with putty colored thinky box, or possibly electric time burglar, but how about if we just stick with something fairly non technical and simple an electronic data processing tool? That's intentionally vague. To me, the important word is tool. Uh, he said tool. Fire, fire. <laughs> Since the dawn of August, man has asked himself why was this device created, and experts agree it can only be for one of four possible reasons. One, as a method of wasting time surfing the web looking for a bald picture of Harrison Ford in a wetsuit. Two, to provide everyone with a way to express their opinion without actually having to interact with authentic humans, thereby affording the opportunity to continue living in the social safety of seclusion while still showing people what an arrogant jerk you are. Three, as a method to keep the common man in his economic hole as he becomes tantalized and absorbed by the endless configuration of printers and networks. And four, as a method to accomplish tasks of such minor details and age consumption that threading needles in a medium-sized lightless closet with four aroused porcupines would be preferable. I personally lean towards the fourth explanation. I treat this lump of plastic metal and semiconductors in the same exact manner that I would treat any $1,500 pipe wrench. I own you, and if I find a better pipe wrench, I'll drop your ass like a day-old fart. So you better do what I say. What? What? You're tired of loosening natural gas pipes. You long for the days of tightening the conduits of human waste. Uh, which one of us is the tool and which one of us is the tool user? Yeah, that's what I thought. Your tools should not dictate how you accomplish your tasks. If they do, you got the wrong tool. A computer is a tool intended to make humans' lives easier. Computers are really good at doing boring, tedious, repetitive tasks. Especially if that boring, tedious, repetitive task is asking the user to confirm their actions. I know I sure spend a lot of time clicking, Yes, I really do want to open that file. Yes, I understand that that file is too large for the recycle bin. Yes, I really do want the installer to create this directory into which I'm telling you to install this application. Why would I ever answer no here? Yes, sign me up for your catalog of Awkward Moments Hummel figurines. Oh crap, I didn't mean to confirm that one. And before I continue, let me make this point up front. This is not an attack on Vista. Most of this applies to any computer, whether it's using Windows, Linux, OSX, or even some embedded OS in a gas pump. But many of my examples will be from Windows because, uh, well, it's the most common OS. Now, we all know that a computer is a tool, but for some reason, we tend to treat them as something more. I mean, frankly, we're too forgiving. Let's say you decided to run out the clock earning extra cash by searching for lost trinkets with your brand new top-of-the-line metal detector. If, while roaming the woods in Walker County looking for gold fillings and toe tags, some other guy with a metal detector kept digging up earrings in places you just searched, I suspect you'd throw your new metal detector away. You'd demand your money back. You'd be completely intolerant of the situation. Granted, a computer is much more complicated than a metal detector, so therefore we must be tolerant of its quirks. An automatic transmission is considered the most complex mechanical part of most cars. Yeah, 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 you've heard me say that a dozen times. If it just didn't switch gears on certain roads, you'd raise hell. It's an unacceptable situation. You see, we demand things to work regardless of their complexity. So why do we forgive computers? Why can the cashier, Mrs. Sokoluski, get off the hook by blaming the computer when she can't figure out how to give me a refund on my mistaken purchase of Tomas's temperamental tapeworm tequila? Why do we reboot our machines when they lock up and then not demand our money back? But worse yet, why is it that this thing requires us to manually do dull repetitive tasks? Isn't that why we made these things? I think there are two reasons why we, the user, put up with this crap. Notice I said we, the user. I'm not referring to the technical reasons why we're not improving these things. As an arrogant user, I don't care about the technical reasons. One. Computers have never really been all that reliable or simple to use. So far, even our best efforts are still complex and not very helpful. 2. Computers are incredibly abstract. A failed transmission is something you can hold in your hands. You can caress it. It obeys the laws of physics on a level you can observe, if you're a mechanic. A computer is working at the atomic level. The software's ease of use and reliability are a direct result of the programmer's abilities. It is an art form and there is no objective way to judge software. A car? You can test that it can run continuously for so many hours on your way to a canned food drive. Or that it can drive the slalom at a certain speed while traveling in a funeral procession. Or that it can carry X number of people to the distinguished East St. Louis museum of misshapen tadpoles. Real world software has no such metrics. Combine that with the fact that most people really don't understand computers. When it does something stupid, they just accept that that's how it works. Because it's fairly hard to argue against something when you're completely ignorant about how it works. Maybe you get mad, but at the end of the day, you just lie back and accept it. Insert joke here. Yeah, well, what am I going to do about it? Just bitch and moan about how bad things are? Yeah, that'll solve things. Let's all complain about world hunger and the rise in the number of drowned polar bears, too. Wah, wah, computers are complicated. What a revolutionary thought. Give me a medal! Well, I have specific, as well as vague, suggestions. Unfortunately, most listeners probably won't be able to implement those suggestions, as I assume most of you are just computer users. But it is my goal for everyone to become as disenfranchised with computers as I am. If I can make you even angrier about your computer, then I've done my job. Not because I want to make people unhappy, but I don't think the problems will be solved until people stand up and yell, I will not go gently into that good night! I am not using this crappy software! Or at the very least, this thing sucks! Most importantly you have to be aware that there is, in fact, a problem before you can correct it. Some guy from G.I. Joe said it best when he said, Damn, check out Lady J's rack. I wouldn't kick her out of my mobile command unit. Wait, wait, I mean, uh, knowing it's half the battle. I'm not that interested in the hardware here. I'm more interested in the software. The software is what drives the hardware of a general-purpose computer. But software without hardware isn't very useful and vice versa, so I'll just keep saying computer. But ultimately, it's the software that we most directly interact with, and that's what I'm going to focus on here. Now, to accomplish this improvement, I have three ideas. Pause for dramatic effect. One. Computers need to stop waiting on a user, as well as not make the user wait on them. Two. They need to get out of the user's way. Three. Computers need to behave more intelligently. And now I shall tediously explain what I meant by that. Note... This may sound like nitpicking, but trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. So, uh... Computer, don't wait on me! And don't make me wait on you! Obviously, I'm not talking about many specialized operations that are incredibly time-consuming, such as hours to encode video or run some complex simulation. But most of the things typical users do take moments. And it's very irritating when you find yourself babysitting a Gates box because it's going to ask you 17 questions during some lengthy operation. When the application stops a task to ask you a question, then it's waiting on you. How many times have you walked away from your computer after kicking off something you thought would take a few minutes, only to return to find that it's been waiting on you to answer some dumb question two seconds after you got up? For me, dozens of times. Examples: delete a large number of files on Windows. It does its deletion preparation and keeps me informed of that because I care that it has to prepare for this. Oh God, how do I care? Oh, let me count the ways. Uh, um. No, apparently I don't care that you have to prepare to delete. But if during that deletion it encounters a single tiny 4K file containing the lyrics to Hollaback Girl, that is for some mystery marked as read-only, Then everything comes to a halt. It needs confirmation that you really want to delete this. Suddenly, the user is required. Preparing to enable user signal. Commencing signaling the user. User signal engaged. Preparing to wait on the user. Commencing waiting for user input. Waiting? 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 Suppose I hire you to throw away my old collection of popular antique Aztec stethoscopes that have been piling up in my garage. And in the meantime, I head off to the store in an effort to obtain more facial hair removal products. The third one you pick up is obviously Mayan and not Aztec. Are you just going to squat in the driveway with a furrowed brow and a vain attempt to understand the situation as you wait for my return? Or are you going to set that one aside and continue your job? Then, upon my return, ask me about that one. So whatever my answer is about that one, you have all the rest taken care of. Unless your name is Daryl and you have another brother named Daryl, you're probably going to keep working. For some reason, computers are about as smart as doubly named brothers in Vermont. I personally think the fact that the file is read-only is overridden by the fact that I'm throwing it away! But aside from that, why not keep deleting files? Don't wait on me to answer this asinine question. Keep going! You can have the question on the screen, but instead of a question about a single file, it could display a list of all files that are presenting problems that require my attention. As it encounters more files that require my attention, they could be added to the list. Then at least, most of the operation will probably be done by the time I get around to answering your damn question. The computer shouldn't wait on me, and in this case, it really didn't even have to wait on me. The issue is that probably 90% of the time, the user is not going to have massive numbers of files that need their attention. Therefore, do what makes more sense for most of your users. Don't define the application's behavior for the exception. Another similar example of waiting on the user is perhaps your email application. I have three servers that I connect to for email. For whatever reason, one of those servers occasionally doesn't respond quickly enough for my email app. And my email app considers this as a password rejection. What really sucks is that it doesn't get any email from any other servers when this occurs. It stops and waits for me to enter a valid password for this one mailbox. And I told it to remember the password. It should never go bad. Rather than display a prompt, Mark the mailboxes in error, allowing me to see that something is wrong, and then try again later anyway. You see, this app checks for email every 10 minutes. The server will eventually be back to normal. Try a frickin' again. Don't wait on me. You see, not only did the app wait on me, but now it's making me wait on it. Because once I've corrected the problem... Now I have to wait for it to get whatever email was built up since possibly the last night, whenever this problem occurred, so I'll be waiting for hours while megs of spam are downloaded containing images soliciting illegal pills that I might like to think about purchasing. How about about another example? I want to use lots of real-world examples in this episode, not to complain, but to show you all the different ways this is a problem. For all you Firefox users out there, Firefox has a really cool feature. If for whatever reason Firefox has not shut down properly, maybe it crashed, or maybe you shut down your machine without shutting down Firefox, the next time you start it up, Firefox prompts you if you want to restore the last websites that were displayed. The idea is that if it crashed or something, it goes back to where you were last. This is a great idea. But, uh, why are you asking me this? Why not just restore my last websites? Why not display something that says restoring last websites and provide a cancel button? What horrible thing happens if you just restore my last websites? Why do you need my permission? Assume that, yeah, you crashed or my machine crashed or had to install the 30th update this week and required a restart and just display what I was last doing. The only reasons I can think of why you wouldn't want it to do this automatically is if you were just looking at porn and now your boss is in the office or possibly whenever your computer crashes, so does your brain and therefore you forget what you were doing and go back to a clean slate. Or maybe you're on dial-up and don't want it connecting without your knowledge. Of course, why did you start up Firefox if you didn't want it connecting? Or maybe you're just a control freak and hates when something does anything for you. So to appease those people, make it an option. But consider the normal use case for this feature. Firefox or your computer crashed. You started Firefox again. Therefore, you probably want to pick up right where you left off. The feature is great. Just don't wait on me to confirm it. Nothing really bad will happen if you continue without my knowledge and if you provide me with a way to cancel this restoration while it's happening, then there's no harm. I shouldn't have to babysit my computer. I'm a user, not a nanny. Why not just do something if it's non-destructive and it seems like the vast majority of users want this? How about a less obvious example? The gas pump. I always pay at the pump now and I always track my receipts. Quiz time. Which of the following things can be done at the same time while at the gas pump? Brush up on your bad Sean Connery impersonation. I'll get you Alex, you, bloody bastard. Contemplate if breast size, shape, or suppleness determines the dominance in lesbian relationships. Or allow a pump to force gas in your tank while you make decisions about whether or not you want a car wash and or receipt. The answer is all of the above. Why hold up the pumping of gas just because I haven't told you whether I want a permanent record of the transaction or a shiny vehicle? And here's a hint. Once I tell you that I do, in fact, want a receipt... The printer should print everything except the gallons in the amount. Wow, that would shave off up to 8 seconds off my gas pump trip. Oh, and if the gas pump printer is out of paper and therefore can't print a receipt, why not tell me up front rather than make me wait until I'm done? In fact, it doesn't even make sense to ask me if I want a receipt if I obviously can't get one. Big deal. Are we in such a hurry that we have to search for sub minutes of time saving? Actually, yes. It's not about saving 8 seconds, it's about being more efficient and more helpful. It's about saving 8 seconds here, 38 here, 2 minutes here, and suddenly you've got enough time on your hands to actually stop and smell the roses. (coughs) On one hand, yes, things are fine. Technology does wondrous things for us it has made life easier. On the other hand, why not improve technology and make it work for us instead of the other way around? So maybe I'm nitpicking same way people were nitpicking when they had to remove seeds from cotton and wanted to come up with something better. The same way people were nitpicking when they wanted to make a horseless carriage. The same way people were nitpicking when they decided cornflakes would taste better with a sugar coating on them when they could just add it themselves. History is full of tasks that people have performed for hundreds of years unchanged. Then someone finally improved it and life was easy and we all proclaimed Jiminy Jillikers. And now we no longer do it the old way. Then someone else refined it further. And again. And again. And again, from different angles, and we've said Jiminy Jilliker so many times, the words have lost all meaning. And suddenly, we're on the moon, or carting Miss Daisy's ass around town, or purchasing a gross of sea sponges. It's all about incremental improvements. Let me give you one last example on this one. The application I use to edit these podcasts doesn't embed the sound effects and the music into a single file. Instead, it stores references to the file's paths. Well, uh, If I were to move some files to a different directory and then open up an old project, it stops opening the file and demands that I tell it where each file is or that I willfully tell it to ignore that single file. It does this for each missing file. You know, uh, maybe I don't care. Maybe I'm going to an older file not to do anything with it, but just check the settings I used on a previous effect. Why not provide me with feedback that there's some missing information? Don't do this in a dialogue! provide the feedback in some other way, and then allow me to show you where the files are at my leisure, if I choose to do so. You see how the application's needs are placed above my own? My issue is that in many cases, when your computer is demanding that you answer some question, there's a high probability that it doesn't actually require the answer to continue. Yes, you can come up with many examples where it does require your immediate feedback, but my point is to look at all the places where it really doesn't have to know. My sound editing app could just display a list of issues that need my attention. And then certain menu options could be disabled as appropriate because of those issues. But can I still use the app just because some issues exist? Yes, yes I can. Whenever you're presented with a dialogue, ask yourself if you could have passively been informed of this. Even if it means making a decision, you might be able to continue. Oh, I lied. One last example. There's a desktop publishing app that I use that has predefined templates. When you start it up, it asks you to pick one. Why not just pick one for me? I don't care. Then allow me to change it if I decide to. That would make the feature even more useful because not only am I not bothered, but now I can try different templates with real data on the fly. Okay, enough of the waiting on me issue. The next thing on my list of areas where computers need to improve is... Get the hell out of my way! Windows is notorious for informing you of every little detail of what's going on, and doing so via dialogues and balloons that have to be dismissed and asking questions that could be eliminated. Simply put, I really don't think most people care about all the damn status that most computers give them. The engine in my car adjusts itself based on the octane rating of the fuel I put in it. It doesn't tell me this while I'm driving. I don't care. I just want it to go. If I put in a lower-grade fuel, either I'll notice it performs worse or I won't. There's no reason to tell me this. Imagine starting your car and having a message pop-up in front of the speedometer that you had to acknowledge before you could drive it. Examples? Oh, too many to count. Don't pop up a giant balloon to tell me the network is down. Really don't tell me this on a laptop. It's not present often. Don't interrupt me and cover up part of my screen to tell me there's unused icons on my desktop. I'll delete them if I want them deleted. Okay, here's a better one. If you use a cordless mouse and or keyboard, At least I can confirm this with a Microsoft cordless mouse and keyboard. And just so I don't sound like I'm dissing Microsoft for their keyboards, I feel they've made the best ergonomic keyboard for the last decade, and I've enjoyed the 37 mice of theirs that I've had. They do tend to break easily, however. Anyway, when the battery goes low on one of their wireless keyboards, a dialogue pops up that you have to acknowledge. You might say, but you need to know this first, if it's so damn important, why isn't the indicator on the device itself and not on the computer? Now one of Microsoft's OS's competitors handles this differently when the battery is low. It puts up a transparent image on the screen of a mouse with the words, low battery, and then it quietly fades away. You don't need to click a dialog. The focus isn't taken away from what you're doing. If you ignore it or didn't see it because you're taking a dump that moment, it'll appear again much later. If you still don't see it, big damn deal. So your battery dies. Replace it and move on with life. But let's consider false positives. Sometimes the computer loses the wireless signal and thinks the battery must therefore be low. But it's really because someone is microwaving popcorn nearby or signaling the aliens where Charlie Sheen is. I really hate to be bothered when it's a false alarm. But do you see the difference? In one case, the computer's need for a battery is more important than what I'm doing. The user must drop what they're doing to acknowledge the almighty electron chest. In the other case, it's secondary. What I'm doing is first. I am not interrupted other than a quick notification that I can easily ignore. It doesn't distract my train of thought. You see, when I'm doing work or play at my computer, its needs are not on my mind. Me doing whatever my task is, is at my forefront. Anything that takes me away from that can cause loss of productivity. And while I'm on the subject, no application should ever, ever, ever take your actual keyboard focus away. Oh, talk about irritating! You're in the middle of writing your angriest, most persuasive letter ever to the Shasta Soda Corporation for cancelling production of their new low-carb lima bean cola, and you're abruptly inspired by the most compelling reason of all... And suddenly you inadvertently acknowledge a download updates message from Reader Rabbit that you honestly didn't even see because the focus was taken away... Right when you hit the return key and you're left looking at a download progress screen for a children's application instead of your word processor. This is something the OS should handle and is the definition of getting in my way when you for all intents and purposes replace the application I was working in with a completely different one. Who the hell thinks this is acceptable? And yet my work computer does this all the time. Flash the taskbar or bounce the icon on the dock but don't put me somewhere else just because an application that I intentionally did not have in the foreground, suddenly thinks it's the center of my universe. Screw you, reader rabbit. To bring up the file deletion issue again, uh, you're in my way. I said delete the file. It's still there. I don't care what you have to do to make it go away. Just get it the hell out of my way. Rename it internally and mark it as hidden. I don't care. I don't want to see it. I don't care that it takes time to physically delete them from the hard drive or whatever. Why are these files still showing up in my views? Can't the computer remember that these files are in the process of being deleted and get them out of the way? Do this in the background or whatever, but who is the master here? I've got to delete these files and move on. Get them the hell out of my way. I don't want a progress bar. Mommy, mommy, look at me. I'm deleting files. See, there's a progress bar so I can watch the files being deleted. (laughs) This is fun, mommy. This isn't fun anymore. (laughs) I just want my files to go by and by. Why are they still there, mommy? Why do I need to be informed of the file deletion's progress? Why do the files still need to show up in my views until they're absolutely moved to the trash, recycle bin, or whatever? Maybe I'm an odd case here, but doing audio and video editing and 15 other things I do with my computer generates lots of large temporary files. When I delete them, I want them gone now. Oh, there's reasons for this progress. Space isn't actually free until it's done. What if you try to shut down while deletion is occurring? What else have you got to do? Are you in that big of a hurry? Those are all outliers. They are not the norm. Solve those problems in another manner and move on. Since I'm probably not going to delete the files and then shut down, the computer can keep working in the background. But more importantly, why show me progress at all? I mean, answer me. What am I going to do with this information? What does anyone do with the deletion progress other than be reminded that their superbly expensive electron apparatus still isn't doing what they told it? Uh, he said apparatus. I am going to But this goes back to whose issues are more important, mine or my computer's. If I said delete... Some of you may be smiling because not all OS's have this deletion progress problem. But if yours does, it's an example of where the computer is in your way. It's showing you files that logically no longer exist, and it's taking up valuable screen real estate, giving you information that you really can't use. If you're lucky enough to have a genuine TiVo, it has a couple of similar quirks. TiVo is nothing but a computer that manages videos. If you delete a show, usually you can just keep right on chugging along. The show is gone immediately. I'm not informed of its progress getting this show off its hard drive, and I can immediately go back to watching episodes of The Fall Guy. Cool. Unfortunately, if you tell it to get a season pass to a show, this is where you tell it to record all episodes of uh, Darkwing Duck, at least the Series 2 TiVos anyway, make the user stare at a Please wait, Screen, while it, I assume, goes off and finds all future episodes and I guess tries to inform you of potential conflicts. Again, I don't care what you have to do to schedule this. Put it on a background thread and give me back my TV, damn it! I'm missing Mr. Furley, appearing shocked with his eyes all bugged out and doing his impression of a scared guppy. TiVo is putting its needs ahead of the users. Most of the issues with computers being in my way revolve around dialogues and places where the computer's needs are ahead of mine. I think every time an application needs to ask or inform the user of something, the developer needs to ask his or herself, is it possible that I can accomplish this without displaying a dialogue or interrupting what the user is doing? Is it possible to allow the user to keep doing whatever the user wants to do and let them answer this question or acknowledge the problem at their leisure? Notice I said, is it possible, not is it easy to make the application to do this. If it's possible at all that the user could continue, you should allow them to do so. Notice that this solution also solves the issue of a computer waiting on the user. One example of a place where this is done is on-the-fly spell-checking. I don't get dialogues popping up telling me there's a misspelled word. Okay, here is a shot at Vista. I was helping a friend with something on his Vista machine, and even though we had run this certain app several times already... Suddenly, when he tried to launch it, Vista displayed this lovely and helpful dialogue. This program might require admin privileges. Your options are, restart this program as admin, or this program works correctly. I'm really not even sure what that means. But why can't you ask me for elevated privileges when and if this application requires it? I can hear the Microsoft developers now. There's complex reasons why we can't prompt the user when the application actually needs admin access. Okay, fair enough. Let me ask you something. If you, as an operating system developer, can't determine that information, then do you really think that a user is going to know? Is the average Joe aware of all the complex rules of what constitutes elevated access? Do you even want that knowledge to be a requirement to use the OS? I rest my case. This is getting in the user's way in an enormous sense. You're not even allowing them to run their app because you need the answer to some question and the user probably is the last person to ask. Quick tangent. Honestly, I know the reason for this one, but uh, this is complete CYA security. It's Microsoft putting the entire onus of security on the user. I can't wait until doctors do this. I want my doctor to call me on my cell phone whenever I'm about to enter a public bathroom and have him tell me that public bathrooms contain germs and I might contract a virus and I probably shouldn't enter them. If your doctor really did warn you of germs every time you did something potentially health-threatening, which happens dozens of times a day, I suspect, do you really think that every time he called you that you would stop and thoughtfully consider it? Or would you just get to where you answered, yeah, 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 whatever, and ignore him? Like I said, CYA, this security model serves no purpose. One last way that computers can get in your way, when they require that you enter in some bit of information in its entirety before you can continue. A prime example of this is setting up email. Many email apps I've seen require you to know everything about your email servers when you set them up. What? You know your inbound server, but you don't know your outbound? Up yours! You can slow roast in hell before I let you complete your email account without a valid outbound server. The really fun ones try to connect right away so you can't even enter fake data. What is the harm with just continuing? Let me enter in what information I have, when I have it, accept it. Flag the information as incomplete so that I see I need to provide more info. Yet again, the computer's precious data integrity is more important than me. If I don't have all the info it needs, then I suck. I'm a user and I must be dumb. If the user is adding items to some internal company database and one of the items has errors, fine. Don't display an error dialog and make them stop their tedious data entry. Store the errors and provide the user with unobtrusive feedback that the error exists. You know, maybe something like on the fly spell checking. Something like that. Let them fix it on their own time. A user doesn't care that you made a primary key on the customer's last name field and therefore all entries have to be unique. Tough. Deal with it. That is not the user's concern. If you have to store that entry in a separate area until it's valid, fine. You're the computer. You're the one that can process billions of bits of data per second. And you're telling me you can't just hold your damn horses about a little incomplete or invalid to you data. Granted, I fully recognize that this is a sort of radical thinking. Putting the stupid user first and not caring about your database's self-defined integrity. And this could be very difficult, if not impossible, to retrofit into many existing applications. But we need to expect better behavior in the future. And frankly, that future should be now. So, I guess the present. Last on my list is probably the most interesting area of them all. Computers simply need to behave more intelligently. Notice I didn't say that they need to actually become more intelligent. I'm not talking AI where an ATM machine wants to be a real boy and be loved by Mrs. Crenshaw after her son was killed in that bus accident only to learn that it will continue to outlive her eons at the bottom of the ocean. I'm not talking about scientific breakthroughs involving speech recognition, facial recognition, or even handwriting recognition. I'm talking about making the user's goals simpler. That's the whole point of a computer. Make it easy for a user to fulfill their mission. Here's a simple example. I use iTunes and I have my music on multiple computers. If you want to keep your playlists on multiple computers in sync, you can export a playlist and then import it on another one. If you do this import and some of the song files aren't present on that other machine, you're told that some songs were missing. Wow, how helpful! You're not told which ones. This isn't focused on what I was trying to accomplish to sync my playlists. Instead, it's offering me some raw functionality that is barely acceptable. Of course, the flip side to this is an app that gives you a deluge of information about what went wrong. Telling me hundreds of files were missing and listing each one of them isn't very helpful either, because then I have to tediously go find and copy which ones are missing. I'm a human. I'm not good at that kind of vapidity. Not only should it tell you which songs, but it would be really useful if you could tell it where to go get those songs, especially if all the machines are on the same network. If not, you should be able to carry some output from iTunes to some other machine and let iTunes figure out which songs are missing and package them up, possibly on a thumb drive. Oh, and should the user care that one machine is Windows and the other is a Mac? Nope. Remember, my goal was to synchronize my playlist, so tough noogies how hard the poor computer has to work. Not that copying files is a really big task. Another issue with iTunes not being intelligent, if I download a podcast while my iPod is connected, Go ahead and put it on my iPod. Don't make me manually sync the two. Here's another example that I'm sure is actually driven by financial reasons. But Let's say I go to a popular web searching site. I just heard about a new heated solar-powered gravy boat, and I want to see if there's any reviews on it. So I type in, reviews, heated, solar-powered gravy boat, and up comes 48 million hits of places I can buy a heated solar-powered gravy boat. That's fine. But why can't I tell this search site to weed out the retailers Because lots of retailers have sites where you can leave reviews, and so that makes it match, but there aren't actually any reviews there. Sometimes the opposite is true. I want to buy something, and all I can get are forum posts discussing the problems of heating gravy on a cloudy Thanksgiving day, or people praising that they'll never eat cold gravy again. I just want to find a place to buy this indispensable new kitchen utility. There's a way to do this. It's not obvious. Let me give you another example. Bear with me on this one. I want to take something I could say in 10 seconds and needlessly elongate it into two minutes. But it's my show, and I found this real-world story amusingly dumb when I first read it. I suspect that while standing in the checkout line at various stores, most people are looking at Lohan on the cover of Muff Weekly or trying to remember if they picked up enough cattle chow. Now this is where some efficiency and intelligence could be seriously gained. Years ago, I read an article in the Atlanta Journal and Constitution about how a large, well-known, citrus-colored home improvement store created a new computer system to help get people through the line faster. They spent untold amounts of money to determine why people weren't able to hand over fistfuls of their hard-earned dinero at a faster rate and sought to rectify the situation más rápido. This multi-million dollar company came up with this. Wireless UPC scanners, to make it easier to scan large items, and an online database of screws and pine straw to eliminate flipping through a paper pamphlet when a customer is buying supplies for bolting their pine islands together. They determined that those two operations took up a significant amount of time and could easily be shortened. The wireless scanner is fine, and I I believe they said that the online database could shave something like 10 seconds off of what was previously a 30 second operation. Wow, a 30% reduction in time but it's still only 10 seconds. However, these issues aren't what keeps me standing in line wishing I'd gone to the blue logo at Home Improvement Center. It's the hapless customer who by no fault of his or her own happened to pick the only box of 12 gauge Romex that has the UPC symbol mutilated by warfrats. Or the elderly lady who needs a single star wash or seven inches of twine in a ficus tree she found in the plumbing aisle and only the tree has a UPC symbol on it. These are what cause delays in line. So the cashier scans the ficus, then broadcasts to the entire facility the price check on star washers and twine. And the line slowly turns to stone as the cashier waits on TWO different departments to give her a price for these items. All because the ficus was already scanned and the TRANSACTION CANNOT BE INTERRUPTED. Now in their study, they showed that the average time in line was something like two and a half minutes. I can't remember exactly now. Two and a half minutes. The only time I get through that line in two and a half minutes is if I go on Super Bowl Sunday at 8.30 p.m. Anyway, so they want to shave off 10 seconds. Here's a thought. How about the ability to put a customer on hold? What if the cashier could press a button and then ring up another customer while waiting on information? Every third time I go to this orange casket, I wind up waiting for this very reason. I can't believe they couldn't think of something so simple. Time passes, and the orange-clad fellows devise an even better idea. Why are we paying for cashiers at all? We can save $1.4 billion and only lose $1.8 billion if we piss off our customers by transferring the soul of an orphan Sprawlmart greeter into a screaming, sycophantic robot cashier, and we'll call it self-checkout. Yes, the volume of these machines is required to be around 123 decibels, because old people can't hear, and studies show yelling at your customers makes them leave the store faster, thereby reducing parking requirements! Which is good, because they can fill it with more lawnmowers and single cart returns that take up four spaces. Whee! And they decided we'll top it off with an inaccurate weigh scale in the bagging area in an inept attempt to prevent theft. This machine will require that a single greeting card weighing two hundredths of an ounce be placed in a bag in the bagging area. Of course, the scale won't register that tiny amount, and the customer didn't want a bag anyway for a single greeting card. So the machine will incessantly belch out... Please place the item in the bagging area, like some kind of 80s B-movie soundtrack on horribly wrong. And at this point, the customer will come infuriated, and if they don't start yelling at one of the helpless associates, will try setting similarly sized items in the bagging area to satisfy the beast, eventually discovering that their car keys, which weigh considerably more, will do the trick. And in a matter of 7 or 8 minutes, they'll be on their way heading to the nearest bar in an attempt to forget this hard experience. True story. Hey, try it when buying a duplicated key. It's just as much fun. Seriously, I'm left to wonder if they concluded that standing in line for two minutes or more gives people more time to drool over the impulse items like a rectal thermometer six-pack or a travel-sized can of Bandicoot repellent. Do I have a point here? Yes. Even something as simple as a cash register requires thought. Maybe because it's so common it requires extra thought. This is what I'm talking about when I say computers need to behave more intelligently. The ability to put a customer's transaction on hold is not rocket science. I believe the phone company mastered this in the 1964 World's Fair. And no one at NCR has ever thought of this. All computerized devices need to move to the next level. Yeah, Pong, word processing, Oregon trail we figured it out, let's move on. Again, I'm not talking about artificial intelligence. I'm talking about just simply thinking about what the user is trying to accomplish and focusing on solving that problem. It's a difference of task-based, and function-based computing. In task-based computing, you focus on what the user ultimately wants to achieve. The user's end goal is the destination. In function-based computing, you offer the user a series of potentially unrelated functions and let them figure out the order they need to proceed in order to accomplish their goal. Here's another example so you'll understand I'm not trying to say that all apps should be wizards. I don't like cookies. Web-based cookies, that is. These are these small files that websites put on your machine. Usually it's for things like shopping carts on online stores. The actual card is on your machine instead of on their server. Your card is this cookie file. But sometimes it's also for advertisers so they can track you. Actually, I think it's more often than not for advertisers. I don't like that. I don't want advertisers tracking me. I use Firefox and it has built-in support to disable cookies per site. That's great. I can tell it to disallow cookies except from sites where it's absolutely necessary and I deem it worthy. I think I use this feature in the exact manner that it was intended. I want privacy from sites I don't yet trust. So the other day I was buying some Olay facial bondo at olay.com and apparently they require cookies. They weren't nice enough to detect that I had cookies disabled and instead when I went to check out it said my cart was empty. Having selectively disabled cookies I know what this means. I need to allow Olay.com in the allowed cookies list. Not really a problem uh, until I add Olay.com to my allowed sites and it still doesn't work. It turns out that they've actually registered the cookie with secure olaycom Now the purpose of this feature is to allow people to define which sites can have cookies on your machine. It would be nice if Firefox would help out a little. This could be anything from a list of recently denied cookies. That would be useful to even a special, you know, try again mode where the user is temporarily prompted to allow or deny each cookie. Notice the current method just makes me have to figure out what the cookie's address is and it might never have been directly shown to me. I'm required to type it in and I might make a typo. But the computer could allow me to select it, thereby eliminating any chance for a typo, plus it allows me to see the choices versus just trying to figure it out. That's what I mean when I'm talking about being more intelligent. Think. What is the user trying to accomplish? Don't just provide them with the raw functions to attain their goal. Here's a list that you can populate. Help the user out. Here's the reason possible choices that can go into this list. Especially when the computer has the information the user needs and the user can't get it any other way. Often I feel like I have to tell the computer to tell me information that it already knows. And to get this to work, I usually have to allow cookies, see which several came down because it's often more than one, then add the most obvious one to the list, then turn cookies off again. What a pain. This is a really useful privacy feature that most people won't use because it's too much of a pain. Another example. I'll use Linux this time. A coworker needed a more powerful graphics card. I had one that was only being used by an extra work computer that had Linux on it, specifically Ubuntu. Stupid me, I swapped out my graphics card for the one my coworker had and suddenly I couldn't boot into Linux. Well, not the desktop, anyway. I was presented with a screen containing mostly garbage and a message somewhere on there that said, The XServe could not be started. And I was presented with the option of viewing the log to diagnose the problem. Ooh. It didn't like the new card. Actually, I have had this very card in that machine before, so I know Ubuntu works with it. Just didn't like me changing it out from underneath it. So what was my task? In this case, my task was booting the machine. The computer gave me options to fix it. Well, you know, if it can install the OS and figure out how to handle the graphics card, shouldn't booting up to a new card be handled the same exact way? For any Linux fans out there, this is the kind of stuff that needs work. Every mainstream OS since 1995 has been able to handle this case. Have you ever called into a company looking for someone but you didn't know the person's phone extension and were directed to their automated company directory? This is where you punch in the person's last name on the keypad and it tries to convert 1 through 10 to A to Z. It's a great feature. It's controlled by a computer. Here's a mock up of what the one at my company does. Let's say I'm trying to reach Sarah Smith. Smith is a common last name. Using the keys on the telephone, spell out the person's last name. Jack Smith. If this is correct, press pound. To hear the previous name in the directory, press one. To hear additional information about this person, press two. To hear the next name in the directory, press three. If you're considering committing suicide and would like to hear same old anxiety, press four. To obtain a special dialing wand... Nagel Smith? If this is correct, press pound. To hear the previous name in the directory, press one. To hear additional information about this person, press two. To hear the next name in the directory, press 3. Orville Smith? If this is correct, press pound. To hear the previous name in the directory, press 1. To hear additional information about this person, press 2. Big deal, huh? Sounds great. What's wrong with it? What are you trying to accomplish when you use this feature? You're trying to reach someone. I like that after you enter their name, the first option is, if this is correct, press pound. Cool. But remember, it only takes last names. You could have several Smiths or Jacksons or O'Briens. Consider that if a user is using this feature at all, they probably don't call the person very often or interact with this phone system very often. Think about that. By almost definition of using this feature, you're admitting that you don't use it very often. So why is moving to the next person in the list, the fourth option you're given? The first option should be, yep, that's the guy. And the second option should be, next I have this inkling suspicion that the guy who wrote this was thinking of fast-forward and reverse buttons on any type of media player. You know, fast-forward is always on the left, reverse is always on the right, the one key is on the left, the three key is on the right. And another thing. What I'd like to see is for software companies to forget how they think people should work and recognize how they do work. So the other day I get behind some lady at a stoplight and she starts pulling away but her brake lights are still on. A few moments later, her brake lights go off, then they flicker a little, and then stay on, even though she's clearly accelerating. But brake lights are supposed to signal that the driver is slowing down. And so goes my journey behind her. Brake lights go on, brake lights go off, brake lights go on, brake lights go off, regardless of her deceleration. This is called riding your brakes. It's a sign of someone that doesn't know how to drive a manual. They've got one foot on the brake and one foot on the acceleratrix. They're not really applying the brakes, but their foot is resting on it enough to make the lights come on. I'm sure the driver feels they're increasing their safety by driving like this. They can stop at any sign of danger, and I wouldn't disagree that they're probably shaving off some time from someone who has their foot resting four inches to the left. The problem is that, as the guy driving behind her, I quickly decipher the pattern and realize that I can't trust her brake lights as any kind of indicator of her speed intentions. Therefore, without delay, I ignore her brake lights. She may now be able to stop quicker, but she's reduced my stopping time because it's going to take me a moment to realize that, yes, yeah, she is in fact stopping now! Sure, I could yell and scream and throw empty beer cans at her, or curl up in a fetal position and hide under the dashboard sucking my thumb, or I could politely inform her of her wrongdoings and the potential consequences, followed by charts and graphs, or just stop riding her ass down Bear Parkway. Pick anyone, they'll all achieve exactly the same results. Nada. I can call her stupid till my face is a simply enchanting shade of indigo, but she's going to drive how she's going to drive. Period. So my suggestion is that auto manufacturers need to take this into consideration, and instead of making the brake lights come on just because it's depressed one-eighth of an inch, rather if the car actually isn't slowing down, the brake lights don't need to come on. Or make the threshold of pressing the brake larger. Instead of telling the user they're doing it wrong, accept that, hey, that's how they do it and accommodate for it. Frankly, if somebody drives like this, and if the brake lights only came on when the person truly intended to slow down, I gotta believe they could stop quicker, having one foot over each pedal. Whether or not that's really safer, I don't know, but telling me a lie certainly isn't going to be safer. They're not slowing down. The brake lights are useless at this point. So enough of my stupid discussion on the scourge of the highways. My point is that... Just like this stupid brake light issue, software companies need to consider that it doesn't matter how they want their users to use their software, they need to learn how the user actually is using it and tailor it for that. Don't tell me I need to restart for an update while I'm in the middle of making a presentation with my computer. Don't limit me to sorting tables by three columns just because you didn't think I'd need any more than that. On websites, maybe your Flash and JavaScript interfere with the user's desire to be able to right-click on these links and open them in new tabs. If someone wants to do an instant search, do they really need to be aware of what indexes are? These are all examples of ignoring the user and instead making the application's need first. Something I really like in modern computers that I've mentioned several times already is on the fly spell checking. I'm not a bad speller, but I-, I seem to make a large quantity of typos. Background spell checking is cool, it's unobtrusive, it's easy to ignore, and it's very useful. Every app that uses text should have this. Seriously. Oh, if. If only an OS would build it in. Anyway, on the opposite side of the spectrum is any type of dialogue or form where you have to enter information that may or may not be valid. This can be in an okay cancel dialogue or possibly something like a wizard where you have to hit next or proceed to the next step or whatever. So uh, my problem with these? They're usually really stupid. If I'm filling out an order form wizard and I don't enter in my shipping address, and that's probably required, why is the next button even enabled? I left a required field blank. I just forgot to fill it in. The next button shouldn't even be enabled at all. Rather than make me hit a button and then be told that I made a mistake and then have to fix my error, why not tell me about the mistake immediately? Why not give me on the fly feedback about the problem? How about applying the same concept as on the fly spell checking here? On the fly validation. Highlight fields that are required so I know I've got more information to fill out. Disable the OK or next button so I have more feedback that I'm not done. Before anyone jumps on this, I'm I'm not really saying that invalid fields should be blinking red until valid, just that you could offer subtle clues. With this, the application becomes more intelligent, more useful, more friendly, and less insulting. Sum up, you bastard. You've done an entire episode on computers, and I can only think of four things more boring. My main point is that computers are a tool. We own their asses. The computer should never make me bend to its needs. My needs are far more important. That might not have been true 10 years ago when memory, hard drive space, and CPUs were all expensive and slow and limited. But with today's multi-core CPUs and giant hard drives and gigs of memory, that is no longer the case. Until we have superintelligent toasters and there's a question of sentience and possible slavery, then I own this machine. Do what I say. I don't care about this machine's needs other than electricity. Instead of giving me reasons why we are not doing these things, give me a reason why we should not do them. We should be making things easier for at least 80% of the people. Not the outlier cases. Not coming up with the five use cases for making it more complicated when hundreds of use cases or thousands of use cases say the exact opposite. Let me put this into context. We've engineered corn, rice, cows, and oranges to be more delicious and nutritious for us. We've altered nature because we want a larger, tastier, more cost-effective banana. Why the hell can't we make software better? I feel it's time we expect more of our computers. We should stop expecting them to be difficult. And unfortunately, usually your first interaction with this is where it really goes bad. Almost every application requires you to agree to a EULA. This is the End User License Agreement, and frankly, I think most of these should be considered illegal in their current state. I frequently see EULAs that directly state that if someone loses money or becomes injured as a result of a fault in the software, that the software is not legally at fault. Where the hell else do we allow this self-exoneration from liability? Were we to hold someone legally responsible for their computer issues, then something might be done. If a user could get monetary compensation because you lost data when Windows reboots on you without your consent due to an update, which I've had happen to me and several friends, maybe things would start to get better. I can hear some of you now. I'm just being nitpicky. I'm finding tiny, tiny flaws. Maybe so. But honestly, these flaws are hindering my work. I use one machine all day at work. Then I come home and do hobbies. Like this podcast. On another machine. I suspect a lot of other people interact with computers just as often. Those wasted seconds and minutes start to add up. Those wasted moments at a gas pump can cause potential customers to go to another gas station. Why? Because they see all the pumps are in use. I know more than one person who has switched banks purely for the reason that their first bank's nearest ATMs were almost always jammed full during lunch hour. The more efficient ATMs can be, the more customers can get through, the happier your customers are. Notice I didn't say ATM machine. ATM stands for Automatic Teller Machine. Just like I don't say PIN number. PIN stands for Personal Identification Number. Maybe we should just rename these to AT and PI, And that has absolutely nothing to do with the possibility of me being nitpicky. Anyway... I think the same exact nitpicky argument could be made about the horseless carriage. You already had a way to get from your farm to the general store. It only took four hours and you want a device that does it in three? Hell, what's the rush? And now instead of just using hay to feed your horses for the trip, which you probably already got, you got to buy your fancy combustible fuel. At least when the horse dies, you can eat it! Actually I don't think I'm nitpicking. There is a definable problem, and the only debate is the severity of the problem. And I suspect that these little problems that cause mere moments of time loss, once you get used to them, have caused minutes or hours of time loss when you first encountered them. You got used to it, and know how to deal with them. Why did you have to get used to it? Well, actually, you had no choice. But there's no reason my software can't start being more helpful, and you'll notice that most of my examples were not massive leaps in complexity or technological prowess. We're not talking years of R&D costs for software companies. But hey, why improve things? Improvement is for losers. Name for me one person that ever improved anything that was made famous. You can't do it. We only acknowledge brand new ideas. That's why people are so quick to shoot down improvements. They're less than worthless because they cost incremental amounts of money and time. In addition, I bet if you ask 10,000 computer users, I bet only acne-ridden, liver-disease, gauntlet-playing losers would say they need improvement. And they're obviously idiots. to (sighs) To me, this is just the first step to making computers really, really useful. This is a great tool with almost unlimited potential, and yet we're stuck in second gear with these things. I just want the next phase to get here more quickly. Computers will always require some amount of training, at least until we get natural speaking voice recognition so you can sit on your couch and say, Computer, correlate all known lanthanides and actinides with suicides in New Jersey. I mean, it sounds crazy, but imagine being able to say, Computer, give me a beat. No, slow it down. No, give me something more industrial. Now add an electric guitar. No, 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 no. Make it less heavy metal. Make it sound more like a cheap James Bond knockoff. No, I don't like that at all. You know, forget the guitar. Give me some cowbell. Okay, that's good. Now, bark like a dog. <coughs> A hey, big dog. Woof, woof. Woof. Now throw in a squeeze toy. Now add a synthesizer that sounds like it wants to be from Beverly Hills cop. Okay, stop playback. Now move this over here, push this here and this there, and this here. Okay. Start playback. Did you realize that in the 1980s, numerous crimes that were long since abandoned by the detectives investigating them were suddenly, if not solved, had new leads to follow? All because computer software was literally turned on. This software ran correlation reports and suddenly information that a police department in dusty toenail North Dakota had was paired against information that the FBI had and then paired against a dozen other law enforcement agencies. Suddenly sought after rapists, murderers, and deadbeat fathers who weren't paying child support were located all because a very simple program was run that had access to the right data. Think of how much more powerful and intelligent computers have gotten since the 80s. To sum up, there are three things computers could do today that would drastically make them easier. Stop waiting on the user and don't make the user wait on the computer. If you need to ask them for something, see if there's a way to instead continue working, possibly even having an undo so the user can undo things if they don't like what you did for them. Get out of the user's way. Don't take away my focus. Don't give me information that is useless for me. Don't ask me questions when you really don't have to. Computers need to behave more intelligently. They need to focus on what the user is trying to accomplish versus worrying over the exceptions. Don't give the user options that clearly don't apply. Mostly, focus on the goal of the user. There are exceptions to all of these, but I think if you really look at it, you'll find that the exceptions are just that. Exceptions. Oxford English Dictionary defines exception as a person or thing that is excluded from a general statement or does not follow a rule. You see, it's not the rule, not the norm. Don't make normal behavior follow the exception. M-O-O-N, that spells exception. Notice that I was all across the board here. I'm not just talking about desktop computers. I mean anything with enough electronic brain power to make a decision. I want people to recognize who is in charge here. You or the computer? You! Demand more from these idiot boxes. These are the true idiot boxes. TVs are one trick ponies, but they do their one trick really well. Computers are general purpose, and through software they can do just about anything. And yet, we often have to hold their little hand to get them through some boring little task. Hell, sometimes I think if it wasn't for their accuracy, many companies would just hire unskilled people to move the data around. At least unskilled people can make basic decisions uh, this check doesn't have an amount on it. I'll set it aside and bring it to my supervisor's attention later, but I'll keep working. I want to get to the day where I can ask my computer in plain English and it answers using plain English. But first, we're going to have to get out of second gear and demand more from our tools. The end. And now it's emphasis time. I haven't said this in a while, so I'd like to emphasize that this podcast really isn't about changing people's minds. It's about, hopefully, exploring an issue more thoroughly. Agreeing with me is not a requirement. Besides, for all you know, I could be intentionally misleading people, or worse yet, I could be a tool of the devil spreading lies. But my urologist insists that couldn't be true no matter how many exams I take. Also, one of my self-imposed limitations here is that I do not want to rely on information that can be easily disputed. That's just about any type of information, so yes, I have to draw the line somewhere. So I draw it on things that most of us agree on, but I don't want to rely on statistics or historical documents that can easily be disputed. Occasionally I do use those sources, and I expect each of you to mentally put your hands over your ears and scream, la 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 la, I'm not listening, or at the very least realize that the information could be wrong. In closing, I'd like to quote truly a great, great man. A man that at age seven won an award. For most unusual pet, it was a painted turtle. And later, he willfully leapt from a mostly working airplane. A man that I'm certain you've at least heard of. Me. <clears throat> Hang on, let me get into character here. For the love of God, will somebody tell me why it's the year 2007 and the latest version of Windows still requires you to press Control alt delete to log in? Unless you routinely allow your cat to play with yarn upon your keyboard, what purpose does this awkward keyboard combination serve? I notice other OSs successfully just prompt the user for username and password without osteoarthritis-inducing keyboard juggling. Thanks for listening to this unusually long episode on what I'm sure is an incredibly dry subject. Visit our website at www.logicallycritical.com. Send feedback to podcast at logicallycritical.com. Jimmy Jillikers, I suck.